Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Welcome, everybody, to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. Of course, I'm Karen Rands, the host, and I'm very happy that you've tuned in to listen to this segment. You know, one of the things that we try to do all this time is give completely different perspectives and different approaches that you find out in the marketplace of how investors or knowledgeable people that have built companies, uh, because, you know, more companies fail than succeed. So when you find people that really have a true understanding and a track record and experience in identifying, building, and profiting from entrepreneurism, which of course is what I call compassionate capitalism, it's, uh, it, it, that knowledge needs to be captured. And today we're going to spend about 30 minutes ex- covering that and, and explaining Possessing, uh, projecting that forward to you, the listener, from my guest, Dr. Calvin Goforth of uh, the Vic Investor Network and Vic Technology Solutions Development, and we'll get into explaining the difference of those in just a few minutes. But I wanted to set the stage a little bit with how I came to know Dr. Goforth. Uh, uh, one of my colleagues here in Atlanta has uh, always sends things to me when there's new news, and I discovered that Vic Investor Network was uh, exploring coming into the Georgia marketplace and was having these meetings, and I thought it was very, very exciting to have uh, an organization that has this tremendous track record identify the Georgia entrepreneur ecosystem as a place that they would like to put a stake in the ground. And when I got had a conversation with Dr. Goforth, it was uh, very, it was really spot on to something that I had identified early on in my own experience in understanding angel investing and commercialization of technology and how you go from, you know, idea to, to an actual profitable company and, uh, and, I had shared with him some experiences I had very early on um, when I was, you know, in my very much in my learning mode and had visited a commercialization forum that had the university, multiple universities from within Georgia, but also the CDC. And I also had been to one down in Florida that was very similar. That's where universities uh, take the technology that's being developed in there and they try to to in effect, find homes for, find investors or find companies or people that want to license or buy that technology and put it into the marketplace. You know, I'd seen it with Oak Ridge Labs. I'd seen it with all these different places. But I never had identified an organization that really had a, a, success, a proven successful process for doing that. I would find individuals that would try to go do that because people would come together and build it, but not somebody that had very thoughtfully figured out the process and then thoughtfully built it, built a sustainable model to repeat that. And so I'm very excited to um, now bring on 
my guest, Dr. Calvin Goforth. I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit about his background um, here because it's it's interesting, and he'll he'll expand upon that, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, just so you understand that uh, Dr. Goforth is a Ph.D. founder and CEO of the Vic Technology Venture Development. So that's the nationally comprised venture development company that's focused on med tech and life sciences innovation, but also as he'll describe that they've expanded their, uh, the the technology they look at or the research that they look at to commercialize where they have done, you know, other areas such as uh, working on impact areas such as clean water, food safety, automotive crash safety. So their, but their key focus is in med tech and life sciences. He also serves as the co-manager of the VIC Investor Network that provides funding for companies being developed within the VIC Innovations ecosystem. Dr. Goforth has spent his career in startup company development. He's raised tens of millions of dollars in capital and led companies from founding to exit and served in the, the many capacities as a founder, investor, board member, and executive roles. Dr. Goforth received a BA, BS in aerospace engineering with the highest honors from the University of Texas at Austin and his PhD in mechanical engineering with a minor in electrical engineering from Stanford University. He founded VIC to develop a better model, as I was talking about, for commercialization of promising technologies developed at universities and federal laboratories from over, over $120 billion in annual federal research funds. Vic has formed 14 portfolio companies based on some of the most promising of these technologies and raised over $140 million in capital and is expanding to additional sites, which includes Georgia, across the United States. And they have some ambitious goals for 2020. And so without further ado, let me introduce to you Dr. Calvin Goforth. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity to be here today. And thank you for the kind introduction. You're very, very welcome. Is it okay if I call you Calvin through the rest of our oh, talk absolutely. today? Oh, absolutely, sure. Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay, terrific. So let's, I mean, you would, clearly deep technical knowledge from your academic background, and then you have this commercialization system or process that, that's been proven that you did. So fill in the gaps in between. How did it, was it, was it all through your own entrepreneurial experience and then investor that you came to do this or, or what's your journey that brought you to, to have founded Vic Technology Venture Development? Well, when I was a uh, grad student at Stanford, I got interested in entrepreneurship, which of course there's a lot of things going on at Stanford. So it's fairly easy to get interested in, in that area. Um, but my Ph.D. research, although uh, very interesting research in which I learned a lot, was not really suited towards any sort of real entrepreneurial spin-out opportunity. So I instead uh, came back to my home state of Arkansas and took an assistant professor position at the University of Arkansas and tried to do research in areas that might lend itself to some future startup. And it took a few years, but I, I, I did uh, start a company, and I, I, I didn't try to do it on the side. I, I left my faculty position and started a company, self-funded. Um, I, I would say I stumbled my way through through that to modest success. Uh, 
And, and when I look back on that experience, you know, I felt pretty good about it. I'd started a company, I brought a product to market, I'd sold the company and made some money. But I also knew I could have created a lot more value had I known more about how to build a proper foundation for success for my business. So that's what ultimately led me to uh, form Vic, which at the time uh, Vic stood for Virtual Incubation Company. We were basically, I formed it as a consulting company, a virtual a virtual uh, business development team that would be spread across multiple startups uh, in a virtual enterprising model. And um, that's that's what we did for for quite a period of time. Uh, but then uh, eventually I had the, another idea, which was, well, you know, there's all these technologies developed at universities. Um, most professors don't want to do what I did, which was leave a secure tenure-track faculty position and put every dime they have into some risky startup. But they do want to see their ideas come to commercial fruition. So so we, we basically switched from being a consulting company to a venture development firm, and we, and we changed the name along the way from virtual incubation company. We kept VIC, because so, that's what everyone called us anyway. So it changed it to VIC Technology Venture Development, and we started forming our own companies based on technologies that we licensed at universities and uh, ha having the um, inventors involved uh, you know, in in the companies as as advisors, and, and that's what we're we're doing today. Okay, so did you uh, go through a period where you you know you were doing this virtual incubation, but were you investing in in companies that were already sort of established with their MVP or some kind of a commercialization already, and just kind of taking that traditional role as an angel investor at some point in time before you started your Vic, your incubator corp. Well, when we were when we were a consulting company, we were working with existing companies, um, but we weren't we weren't at that time investing. We were putting our time in, so I was we were working for equity mainly. So we were investing time, but we weren't investing capital at that at that time. Um, but so no, we weren't investors, but we were working with established companies. Um, yeah. When we were first up as a consulting firm. Okay, so because the reason why I ask that, and it goes back to part of the conversation we had had when we were preparing for this show, and that's where, you know, there's uh, most angel investor groups. You know, there's there's there, there's challenges in each case, right? Whether you are an angel investor group that looks at and likes to be a part of a board of advisors or take active roles in organizations, but there's usually entrepreneurs and founders that have, you know, blood, sweat, and equity in their own money into developing technology to a certain point and they're proving it out in the marketplace and then they're seeking other investors and most of them kind of become passive investors. And then there's the other ones where it's sort of, uh, it's, it's raw, raw, you know, development and it's, and it's, um, you know, the kind of, the, the, and, and you're doing everything. Right. And so, those are two different kind of models. And so since we have investors listening to this podcast and entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, why did you, within your philosophy of Vic, decide to go to pursue it through the pure research angle from government and universities? Well, for a few different reasons. One, as a consultant, you know, you can give advice 
and and you know that's really all you do. You give advice if it's either followed or it's not. But if you're working for equity, if the advice isn't followed and bad decisions are are, are not you know are being made, then you're not necessarily realizing the full value of the opportunity. But the bigger reason is that there is such a vast pool of of uh, opportunities from this over 120 billion dollars per year in federally sponsored research. There's literally you know thousands of new technologies developed each year from this research, and many of them are extremely promising, high-impact technologies that can really make a difference in the world and have a very high commercial opportunity. Most of them, however, are stuck. Even some of the most promising ones are stuck because, because of the challenges associated with developing these technologies, the, the high capital requirements, the high barriers to market entry, the, the very complex intellectual property landscapes, the, the difficulties in assessing the advantages and disadvantages with competing technologies, and the broad expertise that's needed, you know, everything from the product development expertise to the regulatory strategy expertise. You know, these type of technologies, although extremely promising, are very difficult to take from the raw stage they're at in the university to commercial fruition. So the idea behind Vic Technology Venture Development is, well, there's got to be a way to capture this opportunity. I mean, there's just it's there's too many good technologies that are just stuck there. Uh, there's got to be a way to capture this this opportunity. Most, most of what you know, kind of the things going on in universities is is, is targeted towards um, providing support systems for professors and and student teams to to spin these things out. But that's due to this. Complex, you know, complexities, these difficulties I just mentioned, that's a pretty low success rate approach. And, and uh, we felt like we could develop a more systematic um, approach with a higher success rate. Uh, so that's, and, and take advantage of this really immense opportunity that's there if we could address these, these problems I mentioned. Okay. So yeah, that completely makes sense. And you also get it, you know, one of the things that I've, um, have talked to when I was running my angel investor group and uh, we would have a company come in that had been working within the university sector or had been part of like an Oak Ridge labs development effort or, you know, similar uh, had might've had SBIR funds as part of their private technology development or, you know, the research that they were doing is that you, that this is all development of, a solution or a tech that didn't take any equity. So it's a bonus because you have that in effect. It's not, you know, in a free money because you have to pay for when you, when you license this or when you buy the technology from these universities, you're kind of paying for it, but it's, it's still, it's already proven. You know, it's like a, it's like a win-win because you're not, you've already got the company to a certain point. I mean, or the technology to a certain point before you have to put your first dollar in. And so there's an added value in that regard. I, is that true? Well, I definitely, the reason that we're focused, you know, on university technologies is for that reason. So of our current, you know, 14 portfolio companies, 13 of them are based on technologies we've licensed out of a university. And one is from an individual inventor. Um, so the, why that ratio? Because because exactly what you say. There there's you know typically been substantial capital and thought and research and and, and you know uh, 
development in the university that 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 provides a, a good starting point. Nevertheless, there's there's tremendous challenges to carrying it from that point forward. You know, all these all these uh, difficulties I mentioned mentioned earlier that make it not not an easy thing. You know, much harder than say. Uh, you know, like a software, pure software play or something like that. Um, so, so you, you you have to take a very systematic um, approach that you know, mitigates the risk at each step along the way, um, and and that's what we've tried to do. So, one of the biggest challenges that I think, I mean, I've heard this and I've heard it recently, and it's and and it it wasn't really so much of an aha moment for me as it was like. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that's where the skills it takes to start a company or found a company are different skill sets than it takes to grow a company. And so as you go through with your process of, of identifying, founding them, commercializing them, and then you know, taking them into you know, a sustainable growth that can have an exit, do you approach this? Mm-hmm. Are you able to share with us? Is there like a different – team that sort of is in the cultivating part and then you seek out uh, people with experience in growth companies to replace that initial team as you sort of are the master of ceremonies over the process? How do you go about that? Yeah, yeah that's an excellent question. So yeah, we've developed what we think is, is a good model and certainly our, you know, our track record seems to support, support that. But what, what we do is you know, we, have, we start you know, with a very systematic opportunity assessment process. So we, we've got a team we call our opportunity assessment team that screens technologies from all across the country and actually across the world that meets every week looking for the technologies that that you know, might form the basis for our next next startup. And then we have a you know, in that opportunity assessment process, you know, we we do a deep dive assessment for the ones that you know that we, we select as, as promising enough. You know, primary market research, intellectual property review, uh, regulatory landscape, how much money it's going to take, all those things. If it makes it through that, then we form a new company. We exclusively license the technology into the new company. And we put in the, the initial executive team. And, and this is always a done-it-before person, someone who has you know, taken products to market, raised capital, had access. That, that person is a, is a VIC is a VIC employee, so it's typically the managing director of the given branch office in which we're creating the company. So we've got several branch offices across the country, as you mentioned. We're we're expanding into Atlanta, uh, so some other places as well. Uh, but but wherever we're locating that office, typically the managing director is going to serve as the interim CEO for the new company, the new company that's been formed in that branch, and. What we what we have found is that if you tr- if we tried to bring in the permanent CEO from day one when the technology is still raw, there's still full proof of concepts not there. You're not going to get the type of person that you really want. You're just going to be too much, too high of a cost, too too high of a burn rate. And the, the sort of people you want typically have a lot of a lot of opportunities, so they're not going to come in at that earlier stage. But our team is specialized at that earlier stage and has has deep experience with that. And so we have our own uh, managing director of the given branch office serving as interim CEO, take the technology through the first 18 to 24 months, the company through the first 18 to 24 months of development, 
de-risking the technology, establishing full proof of concept, positioning the company for substantial follow-on investment, and, and then when it's a when, when they've taken that, that raw technology and turned it into a very promising company, then we've had great success recruiting in the permanent CEOs that we want to take those companies from that point forward all the way to the exit event. And so that's our model. We call that right timing of the executive, you know, the permanent executive team, uh, where, where, we, where we put in our own team initially and then right time the, the hiring of that permanent team based on when the company's got the traction and when we when we can both afford and be in position to recruit the type of person that we, that we want for the permanent for the permanent position. Excellent. So let me unpack that a little bit because there's a lot there with what you just described. So when you talked about technology, so you you're it's fascinating that you have this team that has sort of a bird's eye view of all the stuff that's going on in the different silos of government research departments and um, universities. So do they sometimes look at there's similar technologies, there's, you know, there's a couple of pieces of a puzzle that they'll pull together because they see they have a, a better perspective of how those individual pieces can come together to form a total solution? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes we, we pull together um, pieces from multiple institutions into, into a single new startup. Other times as we as we are doing our due diligence, um, you know, we may find a competing technology that, you know, causes us to lose interest in the first one we're working on and, and move instead towards the competing. In fact, we had we had that very thing happen with a company in our San Diego branch where we started with a technology, very very promising, although unproven technology, uh, patent pat, provisional patent filed from University of California, San Diego. And then in our due diligence process, we found a very, very similar patent uh, that had been filed three months earlier than that from Harvard's Medical School, Mass General Hospital. And so we wound up forming the company you know, based on the Mass General uh, technology. Although we had both the UCSD and the Harvard professor, the Harvard, both both of them involved as technical advisors in the in the company. So so yeah, it's uh, one of the things I think we're really good at. Because we've we've gained a lot of experience, this is is identifying and screening the intellectual property that can be the foundation for new companies, and you know part of our branch office model is that in each region that we set for branch office, we try to build deep relationships with the research institutions in that region, so that they're regularly sharing with us you know some of the best intellectual property that they've got. Uh, although we, although we search nationally and even internationally, uh, having those deep relationships with certain, with the research institutions and, you know, where we have a physical presence has been very valuable to us. Okay, great. So, so you take it through this matrix that's, that it sounded like on uh, a combination of, of cost to get to market and, you know, uh, the market opportunity and all these kinds of things. And then you put in the, the you have, you just, described as done it before person that really takes takes the lead of of taking that technology to market to commercialize it do the MVP. So is that similar to an entrepreneur and residence that venture capital firms would have? Because my impression of entrepreneur and residence and venture capital firms is that they're sort of advisory kind of uh, things, but not really hands on. Your person is more totally hands on in developing that company at that early stage. That's right. It's a very hands-on model. I mean, you know, we we have 
we, we put in the place the initial executive team, the VIC Investor Network puts in the initial proof of concept capital, which is from 250000 to $500,000, um, that the VIC Investor Network is affiliated with, with VIC Technology Venture Development. That's a group, basically a group of high net worth individuals, includes, includes myself and the VIC board members, and, and but also other high net worth individuals have, that uh, have agreed to fund the, the companies that VIC is developing. Um, and have, have, again, have an excellent track, track record and returns on that. Uh, but they put in the initial proof of concept uh, funding, and uh, then the, the managing director, who's serving as interim CEO, their job is to get that company you know, from that initial proof of concept funding to, to be positioned for substantial follow-on capital, both from our own network, but also uh, from from other investment groups across the country, and that's where most of that $140 million that we've raised is from outside investment groups. But the initial piece comes from the VIC Investor Network, um, and uh, it's all it's all you know very much hands-on. We're developing these companies from from scratch, not just advising them. We're we're the we're founding them and developing them, and the and of course we have other team members. We have like the inventors involved, the technical advisors, and they get equity for being involved. And, and other things, but but uh, uh, it's a very much a hands-on approach. Okay, so as we real quick, I want to um, encourage folks to go to because we've got probably about ten more minutes left in the in the show. But the the website, if you don't see it in the, it's in the show notes. But if you're just listening, it's v i c t e c h dot com. VICTECH.com. You can go and see their portfolio companies, learn more about them, contact uh, Vic through that if you're interested in understanding how to become part of the Vic network or just really understanding the business model more. There's some great information on their website. So I want to make sure before before we got to the end that I gave that uh, that website for everybody. Thank so, you. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry may I also mention ahead. that there's a separate there's a separate website for the um, investor network too. So there's VicTech.com is the Vic Technology Venture Development website, and then VicNetwork.com is for the Vic Investor Network. Okay, so then so other investors that you know want to become you know want to get because you probably obviously the the Vic Network at the very early stage gets the best you know, equity value in that. So, you know, you're already mitigating a lot of the risk because of your process and your success record means that, you know, the, the, uh, the later stage money is waiting to see what you bring to them probably because you do have this, this track record. So other accredited investors can plug in and be a part of your Vic network. Yes, investor uh, network. Investors, we're expanding the, the because we're expanding the rate at which we're forming new companies. We're also expanding our network right now. So, so um, accredited investors have the opportunity to become involved, um, it, you know, in the in the Vic Investor Network if they have uh, interest. Uh, they can go on the website. There's a there's a, a you know, button they can press to indicate their interest, or they can of course just reach out to me directly. Either way is fine. Great. Okay, so the so now you have big goals for 2020. How you're ramping up and the number of companies that you want to uh, that you want to form and develop during that time. So, talk a little bit about your your future vision of where you think your the, the the big 
technology venture development is going to go and what some of the problems and challenges that you see on the horizon in, in trying to achieve those goals. Yes. So we're um, planning to expand from the – we've been forming one to two new companies per year, but we're planning to uh, launch a major expansion of that uh, beginning in 2020 and, and being up to 10 new companies per year by 2022. Uh, as part of that, uh, we need to expand our investor network. So we've we've been launching uh, uh, big investor network briefings in the, in the various cities that we're operational and in, in also in some cities where we're expanding into. That expansion includes new branch offices in Atlanta, uh, the Pacific Northwest, and Chicago are, are two additional sites beyond Atlanta that we're reviewing as best possible. Um, and so having additional branch offices, having a larger investor network, those are part of the part of the keys. It's a very scalable model because uh, even though there's centralized support from the, the VIC headquarters to the branch offices, uh, provided we can find that very experienced, done-it-before uh, person as the managing director for a given branch, uh, uh, the, the model is very, very scalable. Um, so, you know, the expansion of the network, additional branch offices, and then we're also adding some new programs, uh, including a VIC Fellows program, which is uh, being designed to help provide a pipeline of talent into our into our portfolio of companies. Uh, we have to, of course, be careful not to expand our rate of forming new companies faster than we can uh, expand our, our resources, uh, but um, our, our plan is, like I said, to go from the one to two new companies per year to ten new companies per year by 2022. And will you remain in the healthcare biomed space, even though you your past you've done a few other things? Are you looking to expand that as part of that that goal of the, so, of the number of companies? So about 80 percent of our pipeline is life science and med tech, uh, and, th and that's not going to change. We're going to continue to focus on life science and med tech. We opportunistically will step outside of life science and med tech. If we find a technology that we think is really exciting and that we can put the right team behind, that, you know, in other words, we have experience from you know, on our team that, that, that uh, we can take it forward with, uh, then we will step outside of life science and med tech. But, but about 80% of our pipeline is life science and med tech, and we anticipate that staying about the same. Okay. Good. So now, as we start to wrap up here, uh, you know, one of the things, part of the reason why I wrote my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, and there's a, you know, a section in there, a process that uh, new, it's intended for new investors, uh, accredited primarily, but, you know, could be unaccredited investors depending on how they want to get started, but primarily for accredited investors that haven't yet really been involved in angel investing. And for them to do a, an assessment of their risk tolerance, their, um, you know, what stage do they want to be involved in? Because a lot of that, as you well know and have talked about already, it's a lot, it's a hands on effort to start up a company. And for um, investors where you have founders that might have a certain idea about how things go about and getting it done, and if you're a passive investor, a lot of times you don't have a lot of say in, in how, you know, if that company should pivot or not pivot and, and things like that. And so, you know, part of the, the purpose of the book is for folks to go through the process of assessing their own 
capability of being a, uh, an active, what I call an executive check, you know, in a company or being a passive investor because the company is, is fairly far along or just, you know, going to an organization such as your own that says, you know, I want to be an angel investor. I have no time and no real skill on starting a startup because I've been in Fortune 500 company for, you know, 20 years. And so I want to be a part of something like Vic Investor Network because I believe what they're doing. So that's, that's really where the Inside Secrets to Angel Investing helps people that have discovered the ability to invest in private companies as part of their portfolio, not just do real estate and stocks. To, to play in that game. And so that's, you know, the kind of part of it. So what I'd like you to take a few minutes here and sort of talk about from your perspective, since you've been in that, and we talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but you've been in all of this thing. I think a lot of times these angel investor groups, I've noticed as I've been working with companies that are raising capital, their bar has gotten higher in, the, in, in, the, in how commercialized the app needs to be, how many customers they need to have, and it's still considered seed funding. You know, and so where you look at it and your your perspective, which is really unique, give a message out to the investors that might be listening on, you know, the the hidden gotchas of the different approaches that might be out there for them to reflect on that when they would look at, you know, how would they get involved in angel investing if they're just starting out? Well, yeah, I think uh, the biggest issue is that there's a lot of um, variation in quality of deal flow, uh, the model by which the companies are being developed, the valuations. Some of the valuations out there are, are frankly unreasonably high for the for the level of risk. Um, so, so that's a challenge for someone um, to navigate, um, especially if they're not, you know, experienced life science medtech investors. In, in our network, we have an, an interesting combination of, you know, very experienced, successful, previously successful life science medtech investors to to investors that have never done this type of deal in the past at all, but but like the excitement of these opportunities, these companies that could, you know, be extremely valuable, the, the impact they have on people's lives. Um, so they would like to be involved, but, but they've always worried, well, how do I get involved without having that kind of knowledge? So, so one, I think, really major advantage of the VIC pipeline is kind of the consistency. You know, it's not a high-volume deal flow, but it's a very high-quality deal flow with, with every deal offered, you know, having had exceptional due diligence, every deal you know, every company is being led by a highly experienced done-it-before team, whether it's the interim management or the permanent management in place at the given time. Uh, they're all being developed within the support, this proven support ecosystem, this very cost-effective way of developing these companies. And every deal is being offered an attractive valuation. So, so I think, you know, in a typical angel network, there's a lot more work to sort out the good opportunities from the bad the Vic, advantage of the VIC approach is, you know, much more consistency and an opportunity to diversify both, you know, through a low minimum investment per invested companies, diversify by number of companies invested, you know, since there's a low minimum investment uh, level per invested company, and diversify across sectors. So it can be life science, med tech, you know, it can be uh, medical devices, therapeutics, diagnostics, and occasionally opportunities outside of life science. 
and diversify across stage of development because even though the, the net investor network's uh, typically more focused on the early stage stuff, the investors can invest at all stages from the companies that are brand new to the companies that are approaching their exit event. So they can get diversification by spreading their investments across you know, companies at different stages of development and, and different uh, sectors <laughs> in the life science space. So in, in your VIC Investor Network, they can play at all those different stages. That's right. So so they can put. Oh, that, that's we right. Have, we have, yeah, we have an option where they can, for the people that don't want to do their own diligence, due diligence, some people want to do their own due diligence on each deal, but we have an option called the automated investment option where they simply select, hey, I'm going to place my, my six investments this year across. We put two at the earliest stage, two at the middle stage, and two at the later stage. And then, as companies come up, you know, for funding now that meet their criteria, their their funds get automatically placed. They can always override it. You know, it's not locked, but but if absent action on their part, they get automatically placed. And that's been attractive to both some investors that haven't had prior experience and don't want to do their own due diligence, and also attractive to some investors who are just simply too busy to do their own due diligence, even if they have the Oh, that's that's really great. Okay, I'm so excited that you agreed to come on as a guest uh, for my show because that's exactly the kind of opportunity that I want to present out there as I promote this idea of compassionate capitalism is, you know, is really there's always this fear of, uh, you know, of the unknown when somebody's getting ready to write a check out of their own checking account. And so to be able to diversify, and I even had a, uh, one of my prior podcasts a couple of weeks back was talking about that very thing where this guy, that's exactly how he approaches his investment portfolio. He has early stage, he has all of this. So he looks at blending that across the board for, you know, on, on his approach, he's highly successful in uh, in his as an angel investor himself, I'll introduce you to him. He's here in Atlanta, so when you get back in, maybe I'll send y'all send y'all an email, and y'all can connect up. So it's um, thank you very much for coming on the show. Any final thoughts that you would like to share? Oh, uh, nothing particularly comes to mind. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show today, and it's great talking to you and and and. Um, um, you know, if anyone listening is interested and wants more information, uh, happy to happy to talk to them. Okay, great. And I want to encourage folks that are listening too to take advantage of that opportunity. And if you are a new investor or somebody just really kind of getting started, I really want to also encourage you to get my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. It's available on Amazon. If you're a member of the Kindle, you can actually get it free through the Kindle, your Kindle membership. And uh, and you can go to my website, KarenRands.co. There's a tab there for the book. You can get 12. There's 47 inside secrets in there. You've got an excerpt of 12 of them, all kinds of things like that that you can get access to. And then you can also find out more of how I help uh, entrepreneurs get access to capital and develop their business to scale and also how I work with investors on helping them with due, due diligence. So. With that, I always close out my show. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Goforth, for being a part of it. Everybody, onwards and upwards. Thank you much.